Welcome to TheOpenWord.org, featuring the teaching ministries of Alan Schaefer. Currently, Alan is serving as an adjunct professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute, as well as leading almost weekly classes with his local church. With over 3,000 hours of recording since 1988, TheOpenWord.org contains theological studies, biblical surveys, homemade videos, and even small glimpses into Alan's personal life. We invite you to a source for verse-by-verse exposition of nearly the entire Holy Bible at TheOpenWord.org. Thank you. Well, let's look at 2 Timothy. Now, we're actually going out of order in the pastoral epistles because Titus comes in between 1st and 2nd Timothy. 2nd Timothy is the book that Paul wrote shortly before his death. It was either days or weeks prior to him being martyred for his faith. But Paul wrote this, and this is essentially Paul's swan song. Last letter he was going to write. And that's usually the most important, isn't it? Like the last words, like, God was saying, Paul, you got one more shot to say something to Timothy. What are you going to say? So he's going to say the most important things. He's going to say the things that are heaviest on his heart, the things that Timothy needs to know the most. And it is in, it is in this book, of all the books, that he officially passes the baton to Timothy. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And the drink offering, if you go, go back to the Old Testament, that was the last act of a sacrifice. You would pour out this offering. Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. It's the last. This is it. Nothing after this. I'm being poured out. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Paul defines himself as an apostle. And why is he an apostle? Because God's will, not his. And again, I told you about that time I sat in a room full of pastors where some psychologists told them the only reason they were in the ministry is because they wanted to help people. I'm saying, well, you know, if Paul, Paul would have gone up there and smacked the guy. So what, I'm not, you think I'm an apostle because I like being beaten and thrown in jail and tossed out of the city and stoned? You think I like that? I'm in this for one reason, one reason only. God compelled me to do it. And woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I didn't take some personality test and was, you know, well, one of the things you'd be good at, Paul, is to be an apostle. You didn't know that. It was the will of God. It was God's choice. Paul was on the road to kill Christians when God appeared and said, you're my man, you're, you're going to be my apostle, you're my spokesman, Paul. According to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, what promise is that? Eternal life. To Timothy, a beloved son. Timothy is his own true son, a beloved son. And Paul is basically telling Timothy, you're, you're my replacement, you're my beloved son. Now, Paul was a crusty bird, wasn't he? He was a type A. He didn't have time to dilly-dally around with people that weren't serious. So if Timothy rated it to the beloved son level, what kind of person was Timothy? He was. He was unique, wasn't he? Yeah. Paul was a demanding person. And for Timothy to become Paul's true son, Timothy had to have some character behind it. What kind of character traits do you think would Paul would look for? Loyalty. Loyalty is one. Patience. Patience. Godliness. Godliness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to the to Paul and to the message. Both. Yeah. Both of them. How long did he know Timothy? Quite a few years. Quite a few years. What do you know about Timothy? 
You knew the pedigree of Timothy. Yes. He saw the faithfulness of Timothy. Mm -hmm. In Philippians, Paul says, you know, if I send Timothy, that's as good as me being there. Mm -hmm. He had every confidence in Timothy. Because he was raised as a godly child. And because mm -hmm. Timothy was loyal mm -hmm. to the calling. Mm -hmm. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. By the way, we're going to see some of these character traits in chapter 2. And they all center around what you've just said. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you my prayers night and day. I thank God whom I serve with what kind of conscience? Pure, pure conscience. What does it mean to have a pure conscience? <clears throat> See, in psychological terms, let me ask Seth this, in psychological terms, is guilt good or bad? What are the what are the? Well, I tell people to get to God. But right. But what what do your what do your secular compatriots say? They say it's something that you need to get rid of. We should not. By medication. You need to you need to medicate yourself out of it, or you need to keep yeah. doing it till you don't feel guilty anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> what is guilt? It's going against what you know is right. Which is wrong. violation of your. Mm -hmm. Conscience. Conscience. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I know what's right and wrong, and when I willfully do something mean, then I beat myself you. up. Yeah. People that come and do affairs and they're feeling depressed and anxious and guilty, and I said, well, you should. Feel that way. So you got to either change what you're doing mm -hmm. or keep doing what you're doing and, and feel that way. It's pretty simple. That's not the politically correct statement to say, but that is the correct answer. Why did God give you guilt? Yeah, it's to alert you. It's an alarm going off. It's to alert you that something needs your attention. When bells go off in your car, something's you need attention. You need to pay attention to something. It's an alarm buzzer going off. Men ignore them. Men ignore buzzers? Yeah, until it gets real loud. You know, they, they yeah. start Yeah, they start up. But the whole point here is Paul saying, I serve God with a pure conscience. Mm -hmm. In other words, Paul says, you know, <coughs> I don't know of any area of my life right now where I feel guilt. Does that mean he's perfect? No. No. There's just no pattern of sin that violates his conscience. Now, how do you have a, here's a question, how do you get a pure conscience? Following the instructions that God gives us in the scriptures? Yo. Well, I know. I know what to stay away from. Yes and no. Okay. How do you get a pure conscience? You know, know you're to have guilt over sin, you repent. Yeah. In that's other words, clear, that's how you clear your conscience. Every time you violate your conscience, you deal with it. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's why I said yo, mm -hmm. because how do you calibrate the conscience to what is truly right and wrong? I can't by the scripture, yeah. all right? But the point is, you need to listen to your conscience. And your conscience may tell you that something is wrong, or maybe it isn't. Or it may tell you something is not wrong when it is. The way you calibrate your conscience is you have to feed it yeah. the word of God, yeah. but you always follow your conscience, whatever that may be. Don't violate, here's the point, don't violate your conscience. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's where ceiling comes in. Yeah. Anybody ever go out to see the Darwin Awards site on the internet? www.darwinawards.com. It is hilarious. Oh, I know which ones you're talking about. It's 
It's about the people that remove themselves from the gene pool because yeah. of some stupid thing they do. Yeah. What? It's like a guy who shot a deer up on a cliff and the deer fell off the cliff, landed on him, and killed him. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. But they had one, they had one, one thing in, in England. They had a building explode. I mean, it just blew up, blew the, thing, blew the building to pieces. And they went to find out what happened. And while they were trying to figure out what was happening, they noticed over this field there's all these birds flying in and coming in. They went over there, and they found little bits and pieces of human flesh all over this field. And they couldn't figure out what in the world went on. And what they found out after a little bit of CSI investigation is they found out that the, the, the guy that was killed was the, was the guy that attended the boilers in this place. And what happened is they had a particular boiler where the pressure gauge kept going off. So what he did is he kept putting on another pressure gauge, a little bigger one, and a little bigger one, and a little bigger one, and a little bigger one. So instead of fixing the problem with the pressure gauge, he just put on a bigger and stronger pressure gauge until finally he was in there, the thing blew him to smithereens. Instead of fixing the problem, you just put on a different pressure gauge until it doesn't whistle, right? And that's what we live in. We live in a world today where people put on pressure gauges. Instead of dealing with sin, they ignore it or <clears throat> they turn the alarm off by cranking up what sets the alarm off till after a while the thing just blows up. They said this guy, the pressure, the, the force of the explosion was so great, it blew him and a Volkswagen up into the air, blew the Volkswagen apart, blew him apart, leveled the building, and it's all because instead of fixing the problem with the boiler, he just stopped up the warning system. People stop up the warning system today. They're told to do that. You can do that several ways. You can get drugs. Prozac goes a long way. Valium. Is For Valium still the number children? one prescribed medication in America? No. There's probably up now it's probably Viagra or something like that, but one of them used to be, I think Valium was right up there. It's not Viagra. Yeah. Mostly alcohol and street drugs. Yeah. Where the ones that people used to anesthetize themselves. Or you take alcohol, you can drink. Cocaine does a good job of covering it up. Or you just keep doing it till it doesn't hurt anymore. Are you saying Prozac that they give to children? No. What do they give to children? That's Ritalin. Yeah. Okay. You know? The point is we have ways to cover it up. We have ways to change the gauge. We have ways to turn the siren off. But you're not fixing the problem. Paul is saying, listen, when I stand before God and I pray... I'm praying with a pure conscience. I didn't turn any alarms off. And when the alarms go off, I deal with the problem. I fix it. I don't let it keep going. I don't let it keep ringing. I deal with it. And Paul says, I can stand before God with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, that without ceasing, I mention, remember you in my prayers night and day. Now, if he said that, what does he, do you think he means it? Yes. Well, yeah, if he's got a pure conscience, he says he prays for you every day. If he lied, his alarm would go off, and that would be the end of a pure conscience, right? He says, I pray for you every day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Paul wanted to see Timothy, right? Where was Paul when he wrote this book? He was in prison. He was in prison in Rome, and he was not far away from his execution. And he wanted to see Timothy. Because he remembered Timothy's what? Tears upon their parting. He wanted to see his true son in the faith. Why? That I might be filled with joy. Why? Joy that you're not crying, that you're not feeling bad. 
what I call a remembrance, <clears throat> the genuine faith that is in you. Genuine faith. What's that? The real thing. The real thing. Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Right? <laughs> genuine faith is the real, unfeigned, unaltered faith. <laughs> and one of the sad things, I think, is that well, I've been around long enough to see ungenuine I've seen him, I tell you, I've seen him come and go. I've seen him come in the church, walk the aisle, get baptized, sign the card, join the church, and then go off and that's the last you see of him. It's not genuine faith. How did Paul know Timothy had genuine faith? What else? He stuck it out, right? Yeah. He stuck it out. How do you know you have genuine faith? You hang in there. You hang in there. You stick it out. You endure. You stick it out. Now, why are you sticking it out? Because of Christ. Because God yeah. is making you hang on. You're not sticking it out because you decide to stick it out. You're sticking it out because God enables you yeah. to stick it out. Yeah. And Paul says, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith. I remember the faith that you had that is in you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. It was in your mom, it was in your grandmother, and I'm convinced it's in you. Why? Because I saw it in you. Timothy was the product of time. And one of the sad things is anybody can blow into the scene and be on fire for a little while. But it's a long term that sets them apart. Yeah. How old was Paul when he wrote Second Timothy when he was in prison? He was probably in his mid sixties, most say. Somewhere around there. We don't know his exact age, but probably somewhere around in there. Timothy was probably in his late thirties, possibly. Paul's saying, I remember your pedigree. You know, one of the sad things that I, that I, I think of once in a while, there's a lady that goes to our church. Terry Pleska is her name. She was Terry Linden. She went to the church I used to go to, LaGrange Baptist. And uh, she loves the Lord. Her husband loves the Lord. To come here to church. And I remember back in our youth group, she's probably one of the last ones I ever thought would hang it out. Stick it out. You know what? She did. And she and I met and we talked a little bit and I asked her about some of the people we used to hang with and all the people I thought would make it didn't and all the people I didn't think would make it did. <laughs> the people I thought would be winners are big losers and the people I thought would be losers are the winners. And it's sad. What happened? They had such promise. It looked like they were going to do something for the Lord, and the last thing you think know is they fizzled out. Some of them might still run or still go to church, but they're not on fire for God. There's, there's no heat there. There's no evidence that they're even a Christian in some cases. Did they have the training? They had the same training. Oh. They heard the same sermons. Oh. They went to the same church. And Paul is saying here, and I think there's a thrill in Paul's heart that says, Timothy, you stuck it out. It's genuine. Time is the great determiner, determiner of whether it's real or not. Time will expose truth from error. It'll expose the false teacher from the true teacher. First John chapter 2, 17. They went out from us because they were not of us. And that's why it's so important in the earlier chapter in 1 Timothy 5 
Paul says, check the guy out for a while. Let him prove himself. Let him prove himself for a few years. It'll be evident pretty soon whether he's in or out. Sometimes even though you let them prove themselves for a while, they may still fall off the deep end. But prove them. Paul was thrilled that Timothy hung in there. And he said, Timothy, you got your faith from your grandmother and your mother. By the way, if anything, notice what he said. He didn't get it from your grandfather or your father. That's important to notice. And I think, you know, if anything, this is maybe an object lesson of what you found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Where is the woman's greatest influence? Her kids. Her kids. Is the father important? Absolutely he's important. But the mother is the one who shapes the lives. She's with them the most. And when a kid falls down and skins his knees, he doesn't run to dad. <laughs> he runs to mom. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What does it mean to stir up the gift of God? <laughs> what word picture is he pointing to there? Stir Fire up. Fire, right? You got a fire that the embers are low. What do you do? You stir it up. Make it hot. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. Where did the gift come from? God. And in this case, the laying on of hands here is just the confirmation of Timothy's call. What was Timothy called to be? A minister. An elder. Paul laid his hands on him and commissioned him. He said, I want you to stir up that gift. I want you to, to make it hot. Don't let it die down. Why is that? Why did he tell him that? Why he didn't want his fire to die down? Why did he tell him to don't let it die down? He's got a great responsibility. He's got a great responsibility. And if you don't pay attention, what happens? Oh, it dies yeah. down. Yeah. That's true. It dies down, folks. If you don't do anything, if you just sit there and wiggle as a Christian, the, the fervor's going away. Yes. You have to persevere. You have to hang in there. Yeah. You have to stir it up. Yeah. Paul's telling him, stir it up. Get that thing hot again. Now, it's not that Paul is saying, Timothy, you're cold, you got to get warm. He's, he's encouraging Timothy to keep the fire going. That's all he's doing. He's encouraging him. And possibly it's because Timothy was going through some very, very difficult times. And how do you know that? Well, God's not given us a spirit of fear. Timidity is the word here, timidity. Don't be timid. God didn't give you this gift and then make you afraid to use it. Don't let people walk over you. Don't let people intimidate you when it comes to the Word of God. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What's a sound mind? One that can think. Yeah. How many people watch these, you know, the, the, the Phil Donahue's and the Jerry Springer's and that, and you just shake your head and you want to just go slap them? Where does that come from? Now, where, where, where does your desire to say, what is, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to understand what is going on. So in block, Jacques Chirac calls Yasser Arafat a great leader. And you just sit there and shake your head. Why are you smarter than him? 
because you understand evil and he doesn't right it's not because you're great a great intellect you know what we got to remind ourselves that you know it's there's an attitude in Christianity that, that this this sort of like this moral arrogance that well why is everybody so stupid well the reason they're so stupid is they're reprobate what do you expect them to do I can't understand why people are so stupid to think abortion is okay. Well, you know what? If you weren't a Christian and this is all there was, that's how you'd think. You wouldn't know any better. God has given us a sound mind. Now, where do you get a sound mind? How do you, how do you, how do you get one? It comes from God, but what's the process? Where, what discipline do you have to follow to have a sound mind? You have to read the Word of God. You have to, and again, sound mind, sound doctrine, all of it's the same thing. Where do you get your the, the right way to think? You get it from the Word of God. How do you learn to think right? You read God's Word. He tells you how to think. You don't get it from listening to the psychologists, the sociologists, the experts. You get it from the Word of God. This is where you get a sound mind. And he's given us love. What's that? What's love? I have to love because God is love. and he It's all wrapped up in love. 1 Corinthians 13, right? And love is, here's the thing. Love is coupled with a sound mind. Because you can have a sound mind, you can have all the right answers and be obnoxious, right? Yeah. Part of it, Christ had all the right answers, but he wasn't obnoxious. And we need to be careful, because although we understand what is right and what is wrong, when we deal with people who don't understand divine truth, we need to deal with them out of love and compassion and care. God's also given us power. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. And it's the power of truth. Mm -hmm. We're not to be timid. You know, that, you know one, one example when we took Genesis, when, when we're studying Genesis, you know, when, when, when some scientist stands up and says, well, you know, the latest scientific theory says blah, 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 most Christians run for cover. Why? You don't need to be timid. You don't need to run and hide. You don't need to be fearful of Mr. PhD. You've got the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You don't need to run. You need to stand up. God's not giving you the spirit of timidity. One of the things that runs around in Christian circles today is almost this apologetic well, you know, in my humble opinion, you know, it, it, it's, it's like it's like some people apologize for having the right answer. You don't need to apologize for having the right answer. You don't need to be apologetic. Now, if you're the one coming up with the answer, then what is it? It's, a, it's an opinion. But if you... If your opinion comes from the Word of God, which says, thus says the Lord, you know, like Seth said, when, he, when somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm having this affair and I feel guilty about it, he said, well, in my humble opinion, for all it's worth, no, you tell him, well, you should feel bad. Now, that doesn't come from, you know, you know the Seth uh, philosophy of psychology. It comes from the Word of God. It's, it's what God says. If you're sinning, you're supposed to feel bad. It tells you something's wrong. You need to deal with it. He doesn't come up with that. That's what the Bible says. It's not an opinion. It's what the Word of God says. So don't teach the Word of God in a, in a series of opinions and almost scared to death to say something. See, that's the problem with you know, the, 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 the intellectual elites, the highbrows at college. I'm sorry, the highbrows at Oberlin. I've been there. I can say it. I've been there. You don't need to apologize. 
Bible's right. You don't need to run for cover. You don't need to feel bad. Paul's telling Timothy, don't feel bad about telling the truth. God has not given you. If you're timid, that's not from God. And a false humility is not from God. God's given you the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You don't need to run for cover. You're disciplined. You know what is right. You know what is, is, is wrong. And you can tell the difference. See, we live in a world today where you can't tell the difference between right and wrong. Everything's relative. Well, it depends. It depends. But it's a tactic of Satan how he uh, chisels away very subtly and gently and, and now we are so conditioned that nothing upsets us on TV, what we see. Well, that's not true because I, I have great control over my TV. little clicker thingy. Yes, but I, you can just see, it's just so vulgar. Everything is vulgar. Well, we live in a world where you're not allowed to judge anyone. See, if, if Seth didn't own his own business, he couldn't say what he says. Because you're not supposed to judge. A psychotherapist or a therapist is not to be judgmental. Don't judge. Don't judge them. I had a client who was another therapist. They were inching towards having an affair. After about our second session, she says, uh, you really seem quite judgmental. I said, thank you. <laughs> she said, we're trained not to be judgmental. I said, well, undo your training. I got a lot of judgment about that. And I tell you, it's going to cause harm to you, your husband, your kids. The other person, the other family, and how can I not have any judgment about that? That's yeah. So it's kind of funny, but that, well, that was the expectation was. The you. expectation. Well, you seem a little judgmental. So don't afraid. judge. I said, I'm sorry that I didn't come across even clear. The old Dr. Phil, right? <laughs> don't judge. That's the only scripture they will accept. Judge yeah. not that you don't yeah. be judged. But they don't realize there's two kinds of judging. That's right. That's right. We live in a world. And here's the thing. Here's, here's something you... you this is something you can take it to the bank. Truth says, check me out. Yes. Error says, don't judge me. So the second somebody stands up and tells you not to be judgmental, the alarm should go off. The siren should go off. Because something is not right. Something is not right. Truth always says, check me out. I have nothing to hide. Here's the records. Error says, don't question me. We're to be judgmental. Not our own judgment, our own opinions, but the word of God. And that's, that's, why, that's why we need to bring people back to the word of God. We need to bring them back. Here's... Well, God said this. Well, that's your opinion. Well, no, it's not my opinion. He said that. All right? That's not my opinion about what he said. He said it. If you don't like what he said, take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. You don't need to be timid. And, and part of it is timid in our society. You know, Christians run for cover when, you know, they got some reprobate or some liberal or some somebody coming after them, they, they run for cover. Oh my gosh, I can't stand up. You don't need to be timid. You've got the Word of God on your side. You've got the Holy Spirit on your side. You've got power on your side. You've got a sound mind. You can tell what's right and wrong. You don't need to be apologetic over it. Was Paul apologetic in his writings? No. He said, well, you know, in my humble opinion, you know, you shouldn't commit fornication. What do you tell them? Flee fornication. Don't do it. They say, well, in my humble opinion, that guy shouldn't be living with his mother-in-law. You know, that just doesn't, you know, I, I'd really encourage him. What do you say? No, get him away from there. Get him out of the church. And if you don't, 
when I come, I'm going to kick him out. Well, Paul, you're being harsh and judgmental and critical. Well, he had a sound mind. He was right. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. What does it mean to be ashamed? Not to speak out. Yeah, or to, 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 to not want to talk about it, you know. I mean, it's sort of like, hey, is Paul your friend? Well, you know, I hung around with him a little bit. That's being ashamed. Or if you're asked, are you a follower of Christ? And you hedge on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You say, yes, I am. Of course I am, are you? Yeah. I have a, I have a, one of my co-workers at, at work is a flaming liberal. I mean, flaming liberal. And uh, we've had a few conversations and, you know, I've just told him, I said, listen, I am a Christian. This is, my life is based on the Word of God. That's why I think the way I think. And it's interesting because he said, well, I respect you for that. That's, a, that's ahead of most of them. I respect you for that. I, don't, I didn't base it on some arrogant idea that I've got all the right answers. It's the Word of God. Mm -hmm. That's why. Why do I think abortion is wrong? Because that's. I flip the coin? No, because the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. That's a non negotiable to me. Well, some people don't see it that way. Well, that's fine. But that's not the way it is. Because I've got a sound mind. Because I know what the Bible says. You know, and, and we don't need to be ashamed of it. And, and pause, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me a servant. Don't walk around being ashamed of being a Christian. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to run, hide. Be what you are. You know, when, I, uh, when I first made a commitment to be a Christian, I was about 13 years ago. It was. It was. I even. But I remember when I started. I started reading the Bible. I was, but if I was out in public, I was afraid to have that Bible showing because somebody else would see it and know that I was, you know, into the Bible. Which one is of those nutcases? Huh? You're one of those nutcases. Yeah, I was one of those. <laughs> one of those nutcases was yeah. actually ashamed and afraid. This was when I was a new. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't. You know, I said, "Oh boy, they're going to see me. What are they going to think?" You know, it's crazy. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous even think that way now. I mean, I'm, it wouldn't bother me at all for the last several years. I mean, it doesn't bother me. Well, stop and think about it. What did Christ do for you? Right. He died. He naked on a cross for you. I mean, he, he gave everything for us. And he laid it all on the line, and we're afraid to tell people we're Christian. So like the Fonz, I'm a crude... <laughs> I like that. What's that one where he tries to say he's wrong and it just doesn't? <laughs> one of those great, one of those great happy days episodes. You know, you don't need to be ashamed of being a Christian. Now that doesn't mean you go around with a forty-pound Bible bashing people on the head, but be what you are. Be what you are. That's integrity. And think about this. Someday, every person that laughs at you for being a Christian, what are they going to do someday? They're going to stand before God. And it ain't going to be all that funny then. You'll be judging. If they're lost, it ain't going to be all that funny for them. And if you really love someone, are you ashamed of them? No, you stand up for them, don't you? That's right. And your heart beats fast when you think about it. Yeah. When I introduce Don to people, I don't. I'm, I'm proud. See, this is my wife. I love her. You know, who's that person sitting in the hall? I don't know who that is. Somebody who followed me in the door. I don't know who it is. No, she. I'm loyal, right? If you love God, you're loyal to Him. You're not ashamed of Him. Hey, He's my friend. Let me. Introducing my friend. Don't be ashamed. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share in the sufferings. 
Paul wrote this in the time of the great Neronian persecution. It's possible Timothy would have been thrown into prison. It's sort of like, hey, you know, Usama and I are, are good buddies. Now, if you go say that to the FBI agent, what happens? Hey, Usama and I, we're, we're good buddies. Hey, he's my friend. We talk a lot together. You'll be in jail before you know. Yeah, you get arrested, wouldn't you? You get thrown in jail, right? Paul is saying, here, don't be ashamed to be associated with me. Paul was the Usama of his day. He was the Christian. He was the, the one who was going to be martyred for being a criminal. Mm -hmm. And being aligned with a criminal was not a, a uh, thing to advance your career in those days. Paul said, don't be ashamed of me, but share in the sufferings for the gospel, sharing them. According to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. This is that great Calvinistic verse. What did God do? He saved us. News flash. You did not save yourself. You did not even choose for yourself, technically. And why is that? Well, when you get to heaven, we're all sitting around and say, well, how, what are you doing here? Well, you know, I, I examined all the religions of the world and I chose Christianity. <laughs> what are you doing here? Well, you know, I laid down my life for Jesus. <laughs> you know. No. When we sit around heaven, why are you here? God saved me. What are you doing here? Well, God saved me. Why are you here? Well, God saved me. Why did he save you? Well, I don't know. He had some purpose in it, I guess. We're certainly not going to sit around and brag about why we're there. He saved us. And it says here, he saved us, and he called us with a holy calling. What's the calling there? Well, that's the effectual call to salvation. God called you. One day God says, you. You responded just like that. And he did it not according to what? My works or whatever. Anything you did. And that includes believing. God did not save you because you believed. You believed because he saved you. God did not save you because you repented. You repented because he saved you. God took the initial action. You just responded. And why did he do it? He did it because of his own purpose. Because he wanted to. And by the way, he never shares that purpose with us. We'll never know why. The great mystery to me is why me? Why of all of the people did God choose me? I don't understand it. I don't know how to get around this verse. He saved me and called me with the holy calling, not according to my works, but according to his own purpose and grace which is given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. Before eternity started. Before time started. Before there was a molecule in existence. When all that existed was God and God alone. He chose me. And he chose me not according to anything I would do. He yeah. chose me. Because I didn't do anything because I didn't exist. Mm -hmm. I couldn't earn it because I wasn't around. I couldn't merit it because there was nothing for me to merit. I didn't exist. He chose me. But now in time, what has he done? He has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. In time, Christ came. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when God began in eternity past, 
He continued in time and will complete an eternity future. It's all one big picture to God. It's all a consistent whole. God's not caught off guard. He's not caught off balance. It's all according to plan. Christ abolished death. The great ending of our existence, he abolished. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher. Who appointed Paul a preacher? God did. Yes. Preach what? The gospel. the gospel. Now where do you get the gospel? Where do you find it? In the scriptures. In the scripture. So what do you teach? You teach your own opinions? I don't think so. No. I would hope that you understand that anything I teach in this class is not my opinion. If it is, I'll tell you so. I hope to teach you this. I really don't care if you follow any opinion I have. My opinions don't matter. Your opinions don't matter. All that matters is what does God say? Paul says, I'm preaching the gospel. What gospel? The gospel that was revealed through Jesus Christ. The gospel in the scripture. That is what I preach. I was appointed a preacher. It wasn't my desire to be a preacher, but God appointed me to that position. God not only saved me, he not only gave me life and immortality, he appointed me to proclaim the message of the gospel. an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. His job was to preach, to teach, and to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The nations. Gentiles here is just nations. He was appointed <clears throat> to that. For this reason, I also suffer these things. What things is he suffering? Prison. Being unable to. Gee, Paul, why are you in prison? Well, I'm suffering these things because I am a preacher and a teacher and an apostle to the Gentiles. That's why I'm suffering these things. That's why I'm suffering these things. Paul was appointed. Think of the President of the United States calling you and appointing you to a task. What would you do? After I woke up out of a dead thing? <laughs> you probably do it, right? Yeah, you would. You do it. It's an honor. And that's what Paul Paul saying. It's an honor to serve Christ. It's an honor to preach this. It's not a drudge thing. It's honor. I can't believe he appointed me to do this. Me, the number one sinner, right? Line them all up. Who's at the head of the line? There's Paul. He's number one. Followed closely by Arafat. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's right up at the head of the line. Paul said, I was appointed that. And I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Well, what did Christ say? If they hate me, they're going to hate you. So if they don't hate you, you're not saying the right thing, right? That's right. If they hate me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I suffer these things on account of Christ. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of suffering for Christ. Why? For I know who I have believed. I know who I believed in. And I'm persuaded he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. What's Paul committed to him? 
He's like everything, right? Paul is saying, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed to be in prison because I know that someday it'll be worth it. Nothing will be lost. There's no stock market crash in heaven. <laughs> that which I've sent ahead will be there. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed. Because I'm persuaded. I am convinced. I'm unalterably convinced that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And what day is that? Well, that's the day of reckoning. Talk about the church too. That he, what do you mean? Talk about the church. Well, what he committed to him was. I think it's it's. I don't sort of see it as an inclusive committing of whatever it is. I think it's his reward. I think what Paul is saying is that someday, I think basically what he's trying to say is someday whatever I've lost, whatever I've given up, whatever it's cost me, will be worth it. God, God will make good on it. I can't give up anything that God will not make good on. I think that's the basic idea behind this. Now, what can Paul? What can God keep? Well, God can keep you, right? Yes. It's going to be a bummer to send all this stuff ahead to heaven and then you miss it. And why can God keep you? Well, God keeps you because in His mind, it's all one consistent. Thing. Every bit as much with him in eternity past as you will be in eternity future, from God's perspective. No reward will be lost. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. There's that sound again. One of the key words here in Timothy sound. And what's he telling him? Hold fast. What does it mean to hold fast? Don't let it go. Whatever you do. Don't let go of it, right? Now how do you hold fast? Well, just because Paul's going to die, don't give up. Stay committed. How can we hold fast? Not turning away from what I know is the truth of the word. Okay, and how do you not turn away? Accept everything Need God's to accept control, it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's not, shouldn't shake our faith on something bad. Right. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you hold fast. The Holy Spirit helps you hold fast. But there's a command for us to hold fast. Yeah. So, what things can we do to hold fast to the form of sound words? Stand yeah. yeah, stay in the word. Yeah, stay in the word, right? Yeah. That's how you hold fast. That's how you hold fast. You hold fast by staying in the word. I like what he said. In fellowship with other Christians. You need to be in fellowship with other Christians. You need to be around other believers. You need to be encouraged. Pray. Pray. It's the spiritual disciplines. You got to hang on. Now it's true that God hangs on to you, but here's again, you know, this is this is the great paradox here. You hang on, but God hangs on. But God's really hanging on for you, but you're hanging on too. You know, can't sort that out. Paul's saying, Timothy, hang on to what you know is true. Don't let go of it. One of the greatest ways to let go of truth is to neglect it. Yes. If you value something, you keep an eye on it. All the time. Come to my house, I've locked up uh, certain important papers in my house. I've not locked up the paper bags from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. I lock up that which is valuable. I pay attention to that which is valuable. Paul's saying pay attention, hold on to what is valuable. And hold on to there is grasp it strongly with both hands. Hang on to the truth. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. Now where did Paul get them? From Christ. Faith and love which are in Christ 
Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in you. Timothy, hang on to what you've been given. Is truth really important to the average Christian anymore? I would hope so. Why is to me? It's all the love gig, right? Mm -hmm. Love, love, love. Oh. Feel good, brother. Yeah. Paul says, hang on to the truth. Don't let go of it. Don't neglect it. Pay attention to it. Because if you don't, you're going to lose it. The fire is going to go out. Remember, stir up the gift. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you gain an appetite for the Word of God? Well, you get into the Word of God. Mm -hmm. The good thing. What's the good thing? The truth. Mm -hmm. The pattern of sound words, which is committed to you. Now, the idea of committed there is an interesting word. It means put on deposit. And it's almost like God is saying, Here's the truth I've deposited with you. Let's see how you handle it. Now, if you go down to the bank and you deposit money in the bank, what do you expect the bank to do? Be a good steward over my money. You expect that when you go back to the bank, it's got your money, right? And some interest. Well, that's what the idea here. If God commits to you the truth and he comes back to you, what should he find you having? Truth. Not the error, right? right. Truth. It's committed to you. So if something's committed to you, there's a responsibility factor that comes in to take care of it, to keep it, to guard it. Mm -hmm. Paul's saying guard it. Guard it. Commit it. It's committed to you. Make sure you keep it. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Timothy, some guys have turned away from me. Now who were these guys? Don't know, right? No. He must have turned away from his ministry. I don't know. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul's Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't go the way of Phygelus and Hermogenes. Don't turn away. Timothy, everybody's left me. You're, you're it, man. You're the, you're the last one. You and Titus are it. Everybody else has gone away. Demas has forsaken me. He loved this present world. Phygelus and Hermogenes, they've turned aside. <clears throat> One of the greatest devastations in the life of an apostle or a pastor is to pour your life into some people and then have them go off the deep end. Did they leave him? They left him. And Paul is, Paul is, he's in sorrow and he's sort of like saying, Tell Timothy, don't you be like them. Hold fast to the truth. Don't let go of it. Hold fast to the pattern of sound don't you be like Phagellus Hermogenes. It's almost like Paul is pleading with Timothy to, to don't go the way they're going. He said, all in Asia have turned away from me. Among whom? So there are more than just these two guys, right? They were the unlikely ones. Yeah. Phagellus Hermogenes. They, even they left. And Timothy says, Probably Timothy saying, oh no, not for jealous. He was a good guy. In May, I got a call from Richard Fisher that was talking to me. One of the men that used to be a pastor at Open Door many years ago had an affair in his church. Just about destroyed the church ruined his ministry and to this day he is arrogantly and and uh, strongly opposing any any form of repentance he's not repentant at all about what he did 
He's blaming other people, blame storming. And part of me sits here and says, not, not him. Oh man, not him. I used to be close to this guy, and it's like, you know, another one bites the dust, you know. And and it's it's almost like Paul saying, Timothy, don't don't be like them. And maybe Timothy, maybe this is the first time Timothy heard about these two guys. And Timothy's saying, oh no, not Fagellus. I mean, not him. I mean, he was, and Hermogenes, I can't believe it. But what happens if you don't hang on to the truth? It slips away. That's the last we hear of these two guys. They turned away. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Who's Onesiphorus? Don't know, but I'll tell you what. He got his name in a good spot, didn't he? He wasn't ashamed of Paul, and he wasn't ashamed of his chains. He visited Paul in prison. He brought food to him. He brought things to him. He took care of Paul. God grant mercy to him. Because he showed mercy to me. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. When Onesiphorus got to Rome, he looked up the Apostle Paul, which was not very smart to do because if Paul was considered an enemy of the state and you're looking up the enemy of the state, what may you consider to be? Enemy of the state. That didn't stop him. He wanted to go find Paul. And it said, The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Now, if Nesiphorus is a Christian, he'll get mercy in that day, won't he? But what's Paul saying? This is Paul's heart. <coughs> Paul's saying, I pray that the Lord would grant him mercy because of his great love for what he did for me. Paul was concerned about these guys. He was sorrowful for Phagellus and Hermogenes. He was hopeful for Timothy. And he was glad for Onesiphorus here. You know how well... His household. The Lord grant mercy to the household. Yep. Which could possibly be his whole family. Yeah. It sounds like a blessing to me. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Because if, her, if Vanessa Forrest is the kind of guy he is, what influence is he going to have on his family? And see, here, here's, in any ministry, you have basically these groups of people. Never thought about it until he's just tonight. As a minister, you got the guys that have fallen off the deep end. They bring you sorrow. You've got the guys who are hanging in there, but they need to be encouraged. Mm -hmm. Then you've got other guys that have proven their mettle. They've proven what they are. And you're grateful for them. Because they hang in there. I'll tell you, it's, it's tough to see people fall off the deep end. That's all that reconcile with the chapters about being sealed, though, because... Whenever I ask you about someone that was a Oregon Christian that seems to have really gotten into a pattern of unrepentance, and you know, say, well, I think they're still saved, and they're still sealed. Or well, if they were truly born again, they are, but they will be punished by God. Mm -hmm. They will be chastised. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see the halos. I don't see the E's or anything like that. But I remember when I heard about this one particular man, part of me just says, not him. Not him. I knew him. What happened? What happened? Then, you know, the others that you think are duds wind up to be godly people. It just shows, I don't see the heart, right? 
I don't know who the tear and who the wheat is. There's any lesson I've learned is, you know, God shouldn't ask me who's going to turn out all right because I'll get the wrong one. Terry, who I thought would be a, a holy terror, turned out to be a godly woman. She laughs. I told her that. I told her, I said, Terry, I said, you're the last person I ever thought would make it out of there in one piece. She laughed. And then the other people that I thought, boy, you know, great men of God, going to be pastors, missionaries, they fizzled and never heard from them again. Some of them I don't even know are Christians. And Paul is saying, Timothy, be loyal. Don't, don't. This is his last book, right? Timothy, hang in there, buddy. Don't be ashamed. Be loyal. Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes that went off. Don't, don't do that. Hang in there. He's encouraging Timothy to hang in. Well, we'll stop there. We'll pick up with chapter 2 next week. So, any questions or comments or anything? All right. Hey, Bart, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Heavenly <clears throat> Father, uh, we thank you for this, this evening here. We thank you for uh, studying the word and the insights that we get from studying here. It's a good. And we pray that as we go through the week, that you will be the future of you and the rest of Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.